0: All right, everybody, welcome back to the Millennial Sales Podcast. Your host, Tommy Tahoe Alemo, It's where we help young salespeople get the most out of their careers. Pumped about today's episode. I've got an interview with Mr. Nate Richard. He is the head of go to market over at Databased. Um, we'll get into him, um, you know, in uh, what he's doing right now in a second, but he's got such a great come up story. I actually interviewed him for the pavilion podcast which i also run Um, and you can check that out it's usually for more uh, uh, execs and talking about leadership nate's story was so good his come up in sales story was so good that i had to bring it to this podcast as well nate came up he'll tell this story but um, gets into the world of sales door-to-door home security sales in college while he's studying at byu Um, starts making crazy money gets into tech, gets into software, uh, and then has this just wild run um, at Qualtrics where the company goes through several rounds of funding, gets uh, acquired, and then it also IPOs, which is a a crazy trio. And he's just got such great advice around how to get started in sales. And then his career has escalated so quickly, and he's had so much success, both uh, as a rep, as a leader, um, and going from a major, major company like Qualtrics, which is bought by SAP, which has, I don't know, tens of thousands, maybe 100,000 employees to uh, database where he works now, where there's about a dozen and he's one of the first hires. And so if any of that is resonant, the early sales days, the big company transitioning to a startup, getting into leadership, all these things, Nate is the man. Nate is the guy to talk to about that. Um, so we're going to get to his story in a second. real quick. Side note, if you like what you're hearing on the podcast or wherever you're you're watching or listening, Spotify, Apple, YouTube, if you're watching, please just take a second, hit subscribe um, to the show. And if you can, especially if it's on Apple, leave a five-star review, all that should take you 20 seconds. It really helps in promoting this show and getting more good content out to you. You can also find me on LinkedIn, Tom Alemo. Uh, I post every single day about sales and mindset, so check me out there. Okay, cool. Without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Nate Richard. Let's go. All right. Next up on the podcast, we got Nate Richard. Nate, what's going on, man? How are you?
1: I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing, Tom?
0: I'm good. We got the matching uh, the matching hoodie. <laughs> we knew the assignment. We got the tech uh, the tech hoodie going, ready to go today.
1: Exactly. That's how you know it's legit. <laughs>
0: um well, I'm excited to uh excited to have you on, man. Um the first thing that, that came to my mind when I was checking you out on on LinkedIn was the uh was the college background. Pre med, uh now like the sales leader, been in sales for you know decades now. Um my mom was actually the same way. She was a chemistry major, then got into sales and then later into marketing. Um oh, so just just curious, like you know, before we we get into everything else of your career, like walk me through that time period. Like, you know, doing all the pre med work, grinding in college, and then somehow making your way into the sales world.
1: Yeah, so so my story into sales is a little bit uh, unorthodox. So I was like you said, I was doing my undergrad and pre med studies. Uh, I had always thought I wanted to go into orthopedic surgery, so that's kind of the track that I was on. And I had one summer, I had a roommate of mine who went and did door to door sales. And he came back, he went to Canada out of all places and he came back and he made something like 70 or 80 K. And at that time that would have paid for my entire undergrad, paid off my car, had some money left over to have fun. And so I thought, no way. I was like, I I don't believe that. I was like, show me your, um, you know, show me your pay stubs or your bank account. So he ended up showing me, I was like, okay, It, it checked out. And so right at that time it was, it was coming up to, um, a, a point where I had to kind of decide, like, what am I going to do to kind of pay for schooling? And, you know, do I go? I'm from Texas originally. So do I fly back to Texas and, you know, take a job there during the summer? Do I work somewhere in, in Utah where I was going to school? And uh, I ended up just making the decision to to try this door to door thing. And I thought, OK, my buddy can do it. And there's there's a few other guys that are doing it. I'm going to go give it a try. And so I ended up uh, at the time, you know, had hardly any money. I think I had like $1,500 in my account, had this old beat up car that had like 180,000 miles on it. And I even had a dog from like a previous relationship that I was in. And so I like threw everything in the car and uh, packed myself up and and drove all the way up into Canada uh, to go work for this small company up there and do door-to-door sales. And so um, you know, ended up doing that and, and, uh, having a, a fairly decent first summer doing that where I was able to kind of pay everything off. And so it just kind of opened my mind up a little bit to, uh, maybe there's another career pathway here for me. That's not what I had originally thought. And so that was kind of the, the beginning of it.
0: All right. So I got a few, a few questions for you. One, um, are you saying that your friend made 70 or 80 K in the summer or in the whole year?
1: Yeah, in the summer. So he went and worked from the the end of April, right when the semester was over, and he got back at the end of August.
0: Wow. And he was that's in college.
1: That was in college. Yeah. And so my perception of door to door sales was kind of the stereotypical like the guys that show up trying to sell the magazines or newspapers. Yeah. And uh, or like the cleaning solution, which they always seem to like sucker my dad into buying. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he was selling home automation and like security systems. And I just didn't know anything about that world at all. And uh, when he introduced it to me, I ended up realizing like, there was a lot of guys that were making quite a bit of money doing this as a hundred percent commission. So if you didn't sell anything, you know, it was, it was pretty high risk, but uh, there was quite a few guys that were doing that in college and were able to kind of pay their way and and stay debt free. So it it is interesting to me.
0: That's crazy. What's your, um, so I, I started similarly. Um, I did Cutco knives in college, okay. which, yeah. uh, I, I think maybe they formerly did door to door. They didn't do that when I was there. It was, you had to, it was all cold calling and of right. you know, meetings. Um, i are always curious, like for the door to door, what's your opener, uh, to get people to actually open the door and, and have a conversation with you?
1: So at the time, it's all about breaking preoccupation, which I guess you could say is, you know, it carries over into SaaS sales as well, right? Like when you cold call somebody, the main goal is you're trying to break preoccupation and then try to try to convey something in a really quick period of time that gets their interest or convey some sort of value. And so in door-to-door selling home automation, we were selling up in these oil towns uh, in northern Alberta. I mean, I'm I'm talking like you drive 12 hours north of the border to, before you get to these remote places. And these oil guys were making a ton of money and we're buying a whole bunch of toys at ATVs and quasi's lifted trucks and everything. But the crime was really high uh, because there wasn't any security providers in that area. And so the pitch was pretty simple. It was, hey, if you stick a sign out in your yard and you advertise for us that we're local and that we're available here, like we'll pay for all of the equipment in the home and install it for you for free. And you just pay a monthly subscription. And, uh, so, you know, you do like a lot of name, like once you'd sell one in the neighborhood, you do a lot of name dropping, like, oh yeah, you know, Jerry down the street, like he told me to yeah. swing on by and, uh, people would say like, I'm not interested. You're like, oh, that's exactly why I'm here. And they kind of just look at you, like, can you kind of throw <laughs> them off that way? And, uh, so there's, there's some tricks of the trade when you get into door-to-door sales, but yeah, that's where I started, man. Just knocking doors and, and, uh, working at a hundred percent commission job. That's awesome.
0: Um, and then straight off of that, you obviously knew, hey, this is a great way to make money. I'm good at this. This is something I like. Um, and you went straight into sales right after school, yeah?
1: Yeah, so so it was, it's funny because I actually wasn't very good at door-to-door initially. So I went up there, and I I knocked with my friend for the first day, and he kind of showed me you know, what he was saying and everything. So the next day, I went out on my own. I sold two two sales, and at the time, we were getting paid like four or $500 a piece. And so for me as a college kid, like I had never made more than a thousand in like a week or two. And so to do it in a day, I was like, oh, wow. And I started to kind of do like the mental math of like, okay, if I'm doing six days a week out here for four months, like what could I pull in? And so I got, I got kind of cocky and I went like two weeks with nothing. Um, I just bageled every day. And so um, I, you know, I kind of went through the whole like, oh man, maybe I'm not really cut out for this. Maybe I can't do this. And um, you know, like I said before, I didn't really have a lot of money at the time. And so I was, that was kind of shrinking a little bit because you're having to pay for gas every day and pay for your your housing and everything. And so I kind of came to this crossroads of like, all right, do I uh, do I stick this through? Do I try to figure out how to get good at this and kind of eat the humble pie? Or do I decide to kind of tuck my tail between my legs and go back to, you know, getting a campus job or something? And I just thought about it one night. It kind of kept me up real late. And I just decided like. If other people can do it, there's got to be a way I can do it as well. And so I just got to get like maniacally focused on getting good at this. And so I just made that decision. I called my manager the next day and I said, Hey, every time I get rejected or I lose a sale or or however it goes, I'm going to call you. Let's role play. I want you to give me feedback on what I'm not saying right or what I'm not doing right. Let me get good at it. And then at night, I get back around nine or 10 o'clock at night and I just spend a couple hours every night talking to guys that were doing it well, picking their brains. We had some training material. I'd go read through that every night. And so eventually I started going from zeros every day to maybe one cell a day and then it followed by a couple of zeros. And then it'd be more consistent. It'd be one cell every day. And then it would be eventually maybe one and then two. And then where it kind of turned for me where I was like, okay, I think I want to, there's something in sales for me is I had a Saturday where I went and I worked for like 10 or 11 hours and I got six in one day. And, uh, you know, that was enough to pay off the rest of my car in that one day. Mm. And so it just changed my whole paradigm around like where I was going to go in my career. Um, and so I ended up doing this for like another three summers. And, uh, and then at that point is when I kind of transitioned a little bit more and decided to not pursue medical and, uh, actually go into more of like the corporate selling.
0: So what do you think that is? Cause that behavior, um, is not normal right? Like if you're, if you're struggling with something, the normal human tendency is probably to say, eh, this might not be for me. Or in the best case, like, yeah, I'm going to ride this out. And like, you know, I, I had a, a couple bad days or a couple bad weeks, but I'll, I'll get back to normal. Um, and, and you went into like, just like full, just went ham with it, right? Like to call your boss after every time you get rejected and to do the role play and to do the materials after work. Like you know, you've seen enough salespeople, you know, that's not, that's not what the average salesperson does. So I'm just curious, like what, what was driving you at that moment to, to work that hard and and to focus that hard to be successful?
1: Yeah. So I, I, all the way back then, I think, you know, anyone who's been in sales for a while knows that it's a mental game. And as a company, we did a lot of training on your mindset and how to start visualizing success. And I remember Uh, there was a training that we did one morning where it was like, Hey, if you see a house that's got the evidence of like, this person's got money and we know there's crime in the area, you should be thinking and telling yourself like, Oh sweet, this is a sale. It's in the bag as you're approaching the house. And just thinking that will kind of change your attitude towards what the possible outcome would be. And then secondly, it was like, if other people are doing it, like, why can't you? And so was, I think it was just a little bit of self-belief. Like I think through high school and stuff, being in sports, you know, I kind of developed that a little bit of like, Hey, if you apply yourself and you you get focused on something, you know, there's, there's not a lot of people out in the world that can't make something of themselves if they choose to do that. And so I just kind of had a little bit of that, that personal like self-efficacy, but I definitely went through the doubts and kind of the struggles of like, why can't I do this initially? Right. Like there were people I went like five or six days straight in that first week with nothing and there would be guys you know, selling three or four a day. And, uh, and so that was pretty humbling. And I remember my manager just said, look, when you first get in sales, a lot of people think that they're going to be good if they can talk well and they're like social, like they can get along with other people. But there's a whole skill set and a craft you have to go learn and do well at in order to have any success in it. And so he's like, you're just starting. So what you thought you might be, cause you got a couple easy wins the first day. He's like, that's probably not what it is. And, uh, he was really good at kind of helping, you know, be a support system for me through that. So
0: did that, you know, apply once you went into the, the corporate sales world, like, were you just light years ahead of people that are just graduating college and have never done it before because of that background?
1: Um, I, I think it definitely gave me an edge in terms of being self-reliant mm-hmm. because for four years, I made my money on 100% commission. Mm. And so it was all about results. And so at the end of the day, if you didn't find a way to produce, you didn't get paid anything. And, um, and so going into SaaS, where typically your half of your compensation is salary. Uh, So you could sell zero, maybe not for very long, (laughs) but technically you can still get paid something. Um, I just had already kind of been wired a a little bit differently mentally to be like, okay, I'm not going to succeed unless if I can go produce. So I just kind of brought that mindset in with me when I transitioned.
0: That's got to be like somewhat freeing in a way, right? It's kind of like if everything goes to, to shit with my career, you know, I, I joined the wrong company early on, or things don't work out, like, that's the ultimate, you know, being able to kind of like scrap it out on your own. If you, you've already proven yourself for four years that you can do it, um, you're only going to make whatever you sell on. Um, in my mind, I feel like that would give me the confidence that hey, even if this things don't work out at this first gig, Or, you know, I I don't perform as well as I'd like or the company goes under or whatever. um, I'm going to be successful and I'm going to figure this out. And I I tell as many young people that get into that are interested in sales that are in college or high school or or even in another profession, like go do a summer or a year and sell. I say Cutco, but it'd it'd be the same thing as what you're talking about. Right. Where, you know, it's it's all commissioned there as well. And it's like, go see if you like it. And there's some people that love it. And then I see them be CROs, you know, later down the the road. And there's some people that hate it. And, you know, they're not in sales now um, because they figured out real quick that, that that just wasn't the right job for them.
1: Yeah, that's really well said. I mean, there's something to be to be said for going into like a high risk environment and seeing like, how can you produce under pressure like that constantly? And it's a skill like anything else, you know, like we're not all inherently born as salespeople. Um, We might be good at talking with people. We might, some might be more naturally resilient than others, but like these are all skills that are developed over time. And so when you kind of put yourself in a position where every single day uh, you have the risk of failure like that, uh, where if you don't sell, you don't make money, it's unlike any other job, but it also gives an opportunity to whoever's choosing to do that, to really build resiliency in a way unlike any other. And then like you said, you know that can, that can benefit you in the years to come because when the going gets tough, you're like, well, I've really kind of been exposed, like as bad as it can get. Like I've had several weeks of making zero dollars after you know sixty hour work week. So what else? What else could the world throw at me that I couldn't you know overcome?
0: Yeah, I think it's just like it, it's adding on. I, I talk a lot about on on the podcast, like it's important to do hard shit, right? And it could have been that job. It could be you know you're into you know, running marathons or whatever it might be that just kind of like tells yourself that, you know, you're someone that can handle tough situations. Yeah. So when you get put in them, you're, you're ready to go. Um, I, I'd love to, to switch gears and talk about the Qualtrics run for a bit, because it's sure. not every day you see someone's job, uh, you know, they're somewhere for, you know, a few years and went through several funding rounds and then an acquisition and then also an IPO, uh, so i'd love for you to just talk about about the run there and and you know what your roles were were like during that stretch of your career
1: it's called the double dipping strategy <laughs> to be acquired and then ipo a few years yeah. later um yeah so i went from door to door to working for that same company but on their corporate office into okay. like more of an inside sales function and so i did that for nearly 4 years um, went into management. We had a guy from Cisco who also had an MBA at Duke, was like super smart. His name was Scott Hardy. Uh, he came in at Vivint as our COO. And then we also had a president at the time named David Bywater, um, who was also like an ex-Bain consultant came in. And so once I got into leadership, um, my vision on like what I wanted to do for my career changed a little bit. It went from more of an individual contributor uh, mindset of like, oh, I, I can make a bigger impact, at least for me personally, at scale, if I take on leadership roles and additional responsibility. And so when I started taking that on, um, when I was at Vivent, we grew uh, an inside sales function from about 50 reps to about 300. And so through that, we went through quite a bit of evolution. And then eventually that company was purchased uh, by Blackstone Group for $2.2 billion. Um, and so after that run, I was kind of left with like, okay, what's the next thing? And there wasn't really anything immediate for me to take on that would be bigger an impact. And so I ran into an old friend of mine who I hadn't seen for 15 years. He's a, a buddy of mine from Texas. And at this point, like we're both married, have kids. So it's kind of crazy. We, we we randomly run into each other and he's like, oh, I'm working at this hypergrowth growth company called Qualtrics. We're starting to like really aggressively expand. He's like, you should come take a look. So I went over there, uh, did an interview on site, and just something felt different about Qualtrics. There was this kind of energy, kind of like a palpable energy on the floor. Um, And at the time, they had 300 employees. They just did a Series C for, I think, around 180 million. um, And we're starting to expand globally. And so uh, I did the interviews and they said, you know what, we don't hire any leaders from outside, especially those that come from more like B to C. And so you're going to have, if you want to join, we'd love to have you join, but you're going to have to come in as like a senior AE. And so I kind of struggled with that for a little bit because I was like, oh man, the last five years I've kind of built up my career to be like on this leadership track. That's what I want to do. But I also saw the potential in Qualtrics and what it could become. And so, and I also knew I could bet on myself to go and perform for a short time in, in that role and then be able to go back in leadership. So uh, after talking to my wife, I ended up making that decision and she's like, you're going to do what now? You're gonna, it seems like you're taking a step back. And I said, no, I promise you, like this company's different. It's, it's unique. And so I ended up going over as a senior AE for about a year, um, you know, led the department and a lot of the sales there and then promoted quickly back into sales leadership. And then from there, yeah, like you said, it was a pretty wild ride. Like we ended up, um, growing from 300 employees to roughly 4,200. Um, we blew up and and had, I think at the time, 18 or 19 offices globally that we ended up opening. And so it was, uh, it was amazing just to be able to be part of that journey through that evolution of going from 300 hyper growth to, you know, just over 4,000 eventually, like you said. Being acquired by SAP for eight billion, and then uh, two years later spinning out and going and having an IPO uh, for just north of twenty billion, so it, it was it was a great time.
0: Well, the the billions just keep stacking up on your on your resume, right? It goes from two <laughs> to what to eight, and then to twenty. So it means database is on for like a fifty billion dollar. Uh, 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 Exactly. You
1: know, if, any, if any of our investors are listening, that's exactly right. It's going to be at least fifty billion
0: plus. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um, I'd love to uh, to hone in. It was very interesting talk, uh, hearing you talk about the uh, kind of take a step back to hopefully take three steps forward. Um, I actually did something similar. I was managing the team and took a step back to join Gong and you know, be a rep when I joined uh, uh, you know, earlier last year, with kind of the same sort of strategy. And if it seems like looking back on it, that was the right decision for you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. For me, it it definitely was. Um, I probably grew 10 times more during the time I was at Qualtrics than anything else. And so I looked at it as an investment um, and it definitely paid off. I'm curious for you, what was kind of your reasoning behind willing being willing to do that?
0: Yeah, I think it was the same thing. It was kind of like, I, I felt... And still do, but I, I felt just even in the interview process, like this this different type of energy at Gong. And I have I have a friend that initially referred me in that was a rep, and um, you know he was like, dude, like I know you, like you gotta come over here, like I, you love sales, you love sales tech, you have a growth mindset, like that's what this company's all about. And as soon as I started meeting people, I'm like, this is the spot. Yeah. And so, um, and I and I asked a few mentors too, and they're like, hey, if you take a step back, you know, you're I'm 28. It's like, you take a step back. You got a lot of time, um, and, and hopefully shoot forward. So that was, that was my thought and, uh, I'm glad I did it. Um, but it, it's humbling to, to do that on paper when people see that and it's like, Oh, I don't I don't know if I see the vision, you know, originally, um, yeah. but you kind of just know what's right for you, I think.
1: Yeah. And I, I think you almost in a way force yourself, uh, to commit and follow through and make sure it happens because like if you do care about the optics of like what that could look like on your resume you better damn well make sure like you go and perform well doing that right like if you're gonna make if you're gonna make that that step back to possibly have a much bigger gain forward uh you better go deliver on it and so for me it was like a little bit of a higher stakes thing where i'm like okay if I'm going to give up what I'm doing now, and I'm on a trajectory where I could just stay and maybe a few years later, you know, promote again, and then a few years after that promote, I just wanted something a little bit more aggressive, something that would stretch me a bit. And so you do that. But I mean, you see that all the time nowadays, right? If if people get too infatuated with the title too early on in their career, it can actually become an impediment to them and their progress because all they end up looking for is just the title. And so if you're like a VP or CRO on paper too early in your career, you're now kind of in a weird spot. Like, do you only take those types of jobs because of the preservation of the title and the optics of it? Or are you willing to kind of take the step back for maybe a better opportunity?
0: And don't even get me started on the 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 quote unquote directors of sales that like I see and I'm like oh shit like congrats on the role and I'm like how many people are you managing like oh none I'm just a I'm a rep but I'm a director of rep you know director <laughs> yeah. rep like that's not like there's just there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, yeah a lot of uh, phony uh, title, inflation. Of yeah, title inflation yeah title inflation's a better way to put a more PR way to put uh, put it. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I I agree with you. I think um, you know if you there's a huge difference in being the CRO at at Salesforce and being the CRO at you know a 20 person startup, right? And not that yeah. you know there's anything wrong with with going the startup route, of course. But um, yeah. I think just understanding your where you can go and and not you know being so have the ego tied to to the title too early is a, is a great yeah. point.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, let's talk for for a few minutes about database. Uh, maybe you could educate the audience a little bit on on what you guys are doing um, and and kind of like where you fit in the market right now.
1: Yeah, so the origin story of database actually goes back to the Qualtrics days. So as okay. we were experiencing hyper growth where you know we started getting to a point where we we're adding multiple sales teams a quarter, um, it became really hard as a sales organization and and for those of us that were in leadership to be able to understand and essentially have visibility into and, and access to what does the day to day productivity look like for the whole sales organization, who are our hardest workers uh, and who are our hardest workers that maybe aren't succeeding, but they're putting in the effort. So they just maybe need to be trained or develop a little bit more. And that's all that, that's needed to get them to go hit. Who are the people that are doing both like they're both highly skilled and they're working hard? Who are the people that maybe have had success and are letting their foot off the gas a little bit? And the whole approach was to try to develop a system where we could proactively understand those indicators and then address them quickly and then be able to ensure that we were staying on track as as an organization to go hit our numbers. I think every single year I was at Qualtrics, it was 50% year over year growth. uh, And that was in the hundreds of millions. And Mm -hmm. so it started to become really, really hard to make sure that we were consistently hitting quota every single quarter and every single year and so we ended up um, developing kind of a rudimentary version of database there, which was visualizing all of that performance on a quadrant. So you think about like um, Gartner's magic quadrant, um, it's easy to kind of go see who are the who's leading the pack, um, who's maybe the up and coming, et cetera. And so we ended up just doing that with the entire sales organization. And so fast forward to now, um, our global VP of sales, his name is Dan Watkins. He and I worked closely together at Qualtrics and had a really good relationship. Um, you know, the way that we're wired is very similar as well. And so he ended up personally, uh, founding and funding database about a year and a half ago with his brother, uh, his brother, Dustin, as uh, an engineer. And so we just started taking a lot of that methodology that we had battle tested at Qualtrics to go and achieve hypergrowth and starting to say like, let's productize that. Like, let's try to go and actually make a product for sales leaders and sales organizations so that people can perform at their very best and they can go and, and understand um, what are the activities and the skills that if I focus on on a daily or weekly basis will lead to me hitting quota. And so the whole idea is to go and take all your CRM data. And database will tie directly into any CRM and it will use advanced analytics to not only visualize the performance, but it will also help call out uh, areas for improvement. And if improved, what would be the gain in quota attainment for doing such? And so it's it's basic stuff like any anything that any high performer or person who wants to succeed is probably at some point or another trying to reverse engineer their quota or trying to understand, hey, what am I good at? What do I need to work on? so they have a game plan and they have control over their destiny and database just does all that for you, uh, via technology. I love it. And how many employees roughly do you have nowadays? Yeah. So I joined last year in May, we had four, we're now at 14. So we are, we just did a seed round. Uh, we just closed about five months ago for 3 million, uh, at a 40 million valuation. And, yeah, dude. I, for for the better part of the last two years I was at Qualtrics, I took on a really hairy project. And maybe that's another part of the discussion, but uh, it was basically building a startup within Qualtrics. And mm-hmm. it was really, really tough the first nine to 12 months. Um, but afterward, we ended up doing incredibly well. And so I kind of got that itch to like, okay, can I go and test myself? And can I go and actually build a company from the ground up, and so that's kind of that combined with already being very personally invested in the methodology behind Database and seeing it work firsthand and helping sales leaders uh, perform really well uh, is kind of what what drew me to Database.
0: That was going to be my next question for people that are listening that um, are at bigger companies and either considering going to a much smaller startup or have already made that move. I'm, I'm curious how that transition was for you, uh, if you had any learning curves, you know, early on to, you know, just lack of systems and lack of resources and time and all those different things. Like, did you, did you feel that pain or maybe not as much?
1: Oh yeah. I think that is, is probably the most consistent thing that anybody that will join a startup for the first several years will feel. Um, and, you know, there's challenges at every stage of business. When I was at Qualtrics, the challenges weren't access to resources, so to speak; it was more of control of the resources there's maybe a product marketing team of fifteen, but there's also a sales uh, organization of a yeah. thousand and so there's a lot of competing ask for those resources whereas in startup it's like okay uh, who's going to do the recruiting? Well, I am because we don't have a recruiting team who's going to manage the p and l and the finances Well, I am because we don't have a finance division yet, and so you you become a uh, it, you throw yourself into an environment where you got to be quick and agile and, and learn things that you probably haven't had to learn before. But that was part of the allure of doing it for me was I just wanted to to be able to test myself and see like, okay, I've done well uh, in a hyper growth company like Qualtrics. You know, what am I really made of when I'm like left on my own? Like, what can I go and do? And so my wife thinks I'm sick for thinking that way. She's like, things are going so great at Qualtrics. We don't need to leave. But there's just something inside me where like I had that desire to go and and really push myself and see kind of what I made of.
0: I was talking to a a friend about a similar topic uh sometime over the last few days and I compared it to like it's also nice to like lay in your bed and it's nice and warm and comfortable but like the real way to make things happen is like to get out, you know, and like go out and and start the day even though it's cold outside and and whatever, you know, and so um I I admire um, you know your willingness to to keep kind of pushing yourself and, and your boundaries and you know you never know what's going to be what's going to come from it and what what's going to be next uh, by continuing to push your comfort zone.
1: Yeah, I mean to to use your analogy like going from a later stage company like Qualtrics to a startup getting out of that, that warm bed and taking a cold plunge with chewing on ice every (laughs) single day. Uh, You're just going to be uncomfortable with, with having to build out a company and go and hiring the right people and, you know, building the culture and all of that, you know, it's all reliant on you. Um, but that's also a, a, a pretty big positive. I think like you also are in control as much control as you probably ever will be. Um, by, by being kind of at the front and center of it, and so it comes with a ton of pressure and responsibility, but there's also a lot of upside to it.
0: I want to hit you with some, uh, with some rapid fires uh, as we're getting closer to the ending here, if that's right. cool with you. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. We talked about uh, personal development. We're big learners here on this podcast. Curious if there's any books uh, that you know you look, whether it was early in your sales career or now as a leader, um, they could be business focused, they could be a totally different genre, but but any books, if you are a book reader, um, that have stood out to you in your career?
1: So early, early on, um, anything that was Brian Tracy, which might date me a little bit. Um, yeah. <laughs> Grant Cardone is probably a little bit more of like a modern day version of that. Um, the The basics for me were the seven habits of highly effective people. I read that in college, yeah. it was there's another one, Dell Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. That was just kind of like the basic inner workings of, of working with people. Um, those were pretty foundational for me. The Art of Closing was another one early, early on. Um, and then from there, I kind of evolved more into, at once I got into leadership, it was a lot of like leadership books like, okay, how do I go build a culture of high accountability, but also fun and where people succeed? Like, I want to have branding of like, if you come work for me, uh, I'm going to bet on you and help you have the most success you've ever had in your career. And so trying to go and and learn more of those things. And so that started to lead to, you know, there, there's books out there by like Peter Drucker. Um, I, I wouldn't, I'm always reading. And so I don't think there's any one book that kind of stands out as like, oh, that was the, the most pivotal one. Um, but I think there's just something about, you know, committing yourself to continual learning. And so I would say something I've really enjoyed the last year or so is listening to a podcast called Saster, mm-hmm. um, and obviously the Pavilion podcast as well. Yeah, of course, we got to do, do a plug there. Um, <laughs> but I would say uh, I've I've really enjoyed Saster as well because they interview a lot of business leaders who've gone through various stages of building a company, and they just share kind of their experience and what's going on. Kind of similar to what you're doing here as well. So I just yeah. like hearing people's stories and what they've gone through and you know, how they've come out of it, what they've learned.
0: Yeah, their stuff is great. And Jason Lemkin's articles and tweets and everything yeah. have, have helped me learn that world quite a bit.
1: And um, that, I just realized that's a rapid fire question, but a long answer. So let hit that's how the they head usually head. go. I,
0: I call it rapid fire, but it's usually like the longest segment of the whole podcast. <laughs> so maybe I need to change the branding on that. Uh, so anything, I was going to ask you about podcasts, any anything else that you either listen to or uh, if you tune into like, newsletters or uh people on linkedin you follow anything like that outside of like books um or or other kind of cheat sheets that you'd want to reference that have helped you out
1: Um a newsletter i really like is CB insights Okay and that's just kind of all things business and then for startup frameworks i really like uh Michael Scox uh uh his content um you can find a lot of it actually on youtube he's a uh kind of a serial entrepreneur who's turned to Harvard professor, and he teaches a lot about um, how to establish go-to-market frameworks that kind of help us scale, uh, especially for startups as well. So Michael Skok, SKOK, uh, he's got some good stuff as well.
0: I've got some friends over at CB Insights, actually a former podcast uh, guest, uh, so he'll be oh. happy to hear that you like the, the newsletter.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've been a long-time fan.
0: Um, what's going on in the Nate Richard Spotify or Apple music or wherever you're listening to tunes, like what's going on in the headphones?
1: (laughs) So I try to, to listen to some things that are non-sales or non-business related as well. Um, and recently, um, I've never been a a big runner or anything, but I, I set a goal last year that within three years, I wanted to run an ultra marathon. And so this is year two of this. And so I'm doing marathons this year. Last year, I did some trail half marathons, doing marathons this year and kind of preparation to do a 50 mile next year. And so I've been listening a lot to, uh, there's a podcast called 80-20 Endurance. And it just goes through kind of the the different training modalities and, and kind of the biology behind how to go and train for long distance running. So that's been kind of on repeat quite a bit in my car driving to and from. Um, I'm also listening to a book right now called the Sales Acceleration Formula. Uh, which yeah. is also really, really good. Um, it it kind of goes through the early stages of a company, uh, what founders and kind of early leaders would experience and and you know, for good or bad, and then kind of how to go build a company that will uh that will last. So those are those are the two things on repeat right now.
0: Okay. I'd recommend I'm also uh a runner in like endurance sports and all that, Spartan races and all that stuff. I'd recommend checking out Rich Roll on uh, his uh, podcast if you haven't right. heard of him. He's I a
1: have. I, okay. Oh, I have. Yeah. I, I listened to one a few months back. He interviewed Courtney Dwalter, who did the Moab yeah, 240. in like, I can't remember that. She did the Moab 240 mile race in like 38 hours or something. The next closest guy was 10 hours away. So I, I enjoyed that podcast. He's a great podcaster.
0: She's crazy wild um as a side note i actually have a different podcast that i run and interviewed her like years ago after she was on joe rogan and she was saying the same thing she was like hallucinating on the trail (laughs) and just kept running and just insanity but that's another story for another day um a quick plug for database are you guys hiring if so like what are some of the top what are roles that are top of mind if people are listening and, and like your story
1: Yeah, so we've got most of the functions hired out for now. I am always looking to connect. I think recruiting is a long term game. And so there's definitely going to be additional roles that we're looking to hire for in the future. The only two that I've got left for this month, uh, this is the end of our fiscal quarter, uh, is I need a a pretty senior enterprise field sales rep uh, to add to our sales team. And then also um, kind of a, a mid to senior account executive. And so right around five to seven years of experience so i am looking for those and then also um we're looking for a customer support rep as well but other than that we've done a pretty good job getting all our hiring done and we've got some great people at the company but yeah shameless plug if you're interested to come join a great startup in utah uh with a great team great culture and a great market opportunity uh database is a great place to be
0: if if uh, anyone listening is one of those people Would your LinkedIn be the best place to go or careers page or where would you send people?
1: Yeah, just LinkedIn. Yeah. I'm, I'm on there every single day in terms of recruiting. And so um, send me a message and I love to connect.
0: Cool. All right. Last question for you, Nate, who else should that's in your network or that you work with uh, should come on the uh, Pavilion podcast next?
1: Oh, so definitely our founder, Dan Watkins. Um he was an employee at Qualtrics. I think employee, I always forget the number, eight, somewhere around there. And he was he was pretty instrumental in building it to what it became. Um, I would say David Bywater is just a a super well-rounded leader. Um, I rubbed shoulders with him a little bit when I was at Vivent. Um, he went on to be I believe the president of Vivint Solar, and then he's come back to Vivint, which is a different company that does all the home automation. I believe he's their CEO now. Uh, David Bywater would also be great. Um, who else? Those two guys, definitely. There's also another guy named John Diagostino, who I've worked with. He was our uh, VP of enterprise sales at Qualtrics, and he's just an, he's retired now, but overall a great guy with tons of wisdom. Um, he's I think he started his sales... Like, the career doing uh printer selling or something old school like that and just kind of worked his way all the way up through sass and so yeah those those three guys would be a great uh would be a great time to have on
0: did they did they ask for referrals at the end of uh the home security because that was the cuckoo bread and butter and i just got you on three right there
1: <laughs> you know what it's i feel like b2c sales is all about that name dropping um you know, asking for the referrals. Yeah, absolutely. The more you could talk to someone who knew somebody else, the higher the chance would be to sell out. That, so that's awesome.
0: Well, Nate, I appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, I loved hearing your story, wishing you guys uh, nothing but good things in 2022. Uh, and for everyone else, we'll be back uh, next week with another episode, but definitely check out Nate uh, on LinkedIn, uh, hit him up if you have questions or, or want to connect. So thanks, Nate.
1: Thanks, Tom. I loved it.
0: Thanks for checking out that episode. Happy January, start of the year. Let's kick some ass. Again, one of my goals for this show is to get as many subscribers uh, wherever you're listening here uh, on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, et cetera. Subscribe, leave a review, and then hit me up on uh, LinkedIn, Tom Malamo, or any of my other socials at Tommy Tahoe. Look forward to connecting with you there. Peace.